Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I know, I get it. I'm disappointed and I'm frustrated too. I mean, you dedicate yourself to something for so many hours and you get yourself so excited. And then we sit down to watch Blood and Guts and I saw blood, but I didn't see any guts. I was expecting somebody to get a sword, stab it into somebody else's chest and then see guts fall all over the ring. And only then would I have been a happy wrestling fan. <laughs> of course, I'm just joking, but it's not that far removed from how some people are talking today. But don't worry about that, my name is Simon Miller. Welcome to What Culture Wrestling, and make sure you get your own finger of power, the FOP, because it's time to go through blood and guts at AEW Dynamite Special and give the good bits an up and the bad bits a down. And flub me sideways, we have a lot to talk about. Let's go. AEW started with more real fans than they've had in ages. Two rings that were set up the entire time. Michael Nakazawa with a laptop and Don Callis lying his ass off. And I sat there and I was like, man, I am pumped for this. We also began with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley taking on Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa. With Kenny Omega attacking the good guys as they were making their entrance. And the reason this had more meaning to it is because seconds beforehand, Don Callis had gone, well, Kenny Omega's not even here. So what a piece of trash that guy is. Ken and Mike then used this in order to beat up Eddie Kingston when they got to the ring. But then John Moxley recovered and made the save. And then they were just throwing each other into everything they could. The theme of this one, and basically the whole night, was carnage. In fact, there was so much going on, the referee was like, oh, I can't handle it. So they were distracted, which allowed Nakazawa to wham Eddie Kingston right in the balls. And then when it was Eddie versus Kenny Omega... They started chopping the absolute shib out of each other when from nowhere Omega got bored and was like, nope, I'm going to give you an insigori. Kingston was able to come back from that and hit a massive clothesline onto the AEW world champion. And then the finest moment of my life happened because he tabbed in John Moxley and the fans made all this noise. And I was like, oh, there it is. This is what wrestling's all about. I know some people don't get Nakazawa too, but I want to go on record now to let you know that I love him. Like when his back was against the wall here, he decided the best thing to do was whip his top off and just start going, come on, come on. And you already know how that ended. He still got smacked in the face. I really like this guy. He also got pole drived into the floor for his troubles. And although Kenny Omega helped his friend there, I think he just got bored. Because John Moxley then got Michael, he applied the choke, and as Kenny tried to get in the ring, Eddie Kingston stopped him. So Omega just went, 
you know what? I can't be bothered with this. He walked off, which cost them the match, and they lost. Happened after Eddie and Mox hit this kind of clothesline suplex thingamajig onto Michael Nakazawa, and we weren't even done there because we had instant fallout because the Young Bucks arrived, and I think they must have been holidaying in Mexico given how they were dressed. It was just them causing the distraction though, which you would do with the tires like that, because the Good Brothers were here and they hit the magic killer onto Eddie Kingston and John Moxley before Omega came back out there and just proceeded to be the biggest dick imaginable. I mean, he had Brandon Cutler filming his every move before he hit the one winged angels onto Eddie Kingston. And honestly, the amount of different directions we could go from here, especially because later on, we were gonna crown the number one contenders to take on the Young Bucks, and that match is happening in seven days. So really the bottom line is, is that Dynamite rarely fumbles its opening segment or its opening match, and that streak has just continued giving it up. Randomly after that, we learned that at Double or Nothing, Britt Baker is officially going to be taking on Sheena for the AEW Women's title. And given that Britt Baker was going to have a match on Blood and Guts, I was like, well, why didn't she win that? And then we revealed it. But who gives a crap? I don't care. Who cares? Nobody. Maybe you, but I'm not you, so I don't know. Here's what we need to do. Get to that pay-per-view and have Britt Baker win. I don't care how she do it. There can be shenanigans. She can cheat. But by hook or by crook, she needs to hold that belt. You know it just makes sense. Cody Rhodes was then taken on QT Marshall. And it's little things like this where AEW really comes into its own. Because this has been a relatively short feud. But we planted a seed. We let it play out. We've now got to the match. But it's not even the end of the program. Because it just opened the door by the end of it. To go into what I assume we were building to begin with. I didn't really come out as simply as I meant it, but up. Once again, Carnage reigns supreme because Cody Rhodes just rang at QT Marshall as soon as the bell had been rung. And any misgivings he had before were out the window here because he took off his weight belt and he was going to whip his former friend. And he would have done if it wasn't for that damn referee. It was a bad move too because QT then got a belt of his own and he had no reservations about whipping Cody. And then these two just went to Counter City because they know each other so well. I mean, they had been practicing their timings on that R2 bun. Because Marshall has become a super moron, he got in Arn Anderson's face at one point, which was an error because Arn started smashing him in the face. But then it was also a mistake for Arn because he got sent backstage, which means he couldn't help anymore. But that fired Cody Rhodes up. He got back in the ring and the two kind of collided after cross bodies. And then we saw a sunset flip and a DDT. And throughout all that, just for a small second, you also saw QT's ass. Pulled his tights right down. There was another great bit when Rhodes went for the Cody Cutter, but QT Marshall turned that into the crossroads. And then they were literally flipping around the ring as they kept reversing the other's tombstone pile driver attempt. And it was QT Marshall who hit it for another near fall. And I don't know what it is about the tombstone pile driver. Every time I see it, excited noises just come out of my mouth. Wait, no, my brain just recalled what I said. QT Marshall didn't hit it. Cody Rhodes hit it. But then Q2 was so dazed, he walked into a crossroads, which got another crazy 2.9999999. And then Cody showed us what he'd learned over the last few weeks. Because even though a couple of months ago he said he'd never do this, he put the figure four on QT Marshall. And QT Marshall had no choice but to tap out. So this was really simple but effective stuff, and that's of course because it was building to something else. Because afterwards, Cody was bleeding for some reason, and out came Anthony Agogo with his punch gun thing. He slammed Cody right in the stomach, Rhodes fell down, and then Anthony Agogo, my man Anthony Agogo, took the United Kingdom flag, the Union Jack, and he laid it over Cody's 
kind of dead body. So that's where we're going next, and I massively appreciate this because now we're using all of it to put new guys over. And look, I am a Englishman, a United Kingdom person, and while I don't really care about that most of the time, it's so nice when you see it in professional wrestling. Like TNA did it ages ago, but it kind of gives Anthony a go-go a real identity. And once more, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think he is taking his opportunity and he is running with it. I'm genuinely excited to see what happens when we do get Cody versus Anthony, which I assume is happening at Double or Nothing. AEW then had a proper opportunity to proper establish Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page as a dominant tag team. I know they've done a lot on Dark, but this was about Dynamite and they hit a home run. Because they ripped into Sting at first, saying that the only reason he paints his face is because otherwise we'd see how old and decrepit he is, and that he is no longer the franchise because they're the franchise. And obviously, because they had insulted his dad, Darby Allen then appeared, and this crazy tamale, one of the first things he did was climb up this ladder that was suspended in midair and just dove at them. And this was happening on like a concourse, so he landed on the concrete. This continued to just be otherworldly though, because after Scorpio Sky hit him with a trash can, they grabbed Darby Allen and they threw him down the stairs. And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's a way to fake being thrown down the stairs. It gave Sky and Paige or Sap some real momentum, and if it wasn't for something that happened later on, I would be standing here right now advocating for one of them to become the new TNT champion. But give it a few minutes, and we will talk about it. Britt Baker then wrecked Julia Hart. This is exactly what it should have been. We really put Baker over the top here too because she had a pinfall victory had she wanted it, but instead she picked Julia's shoulders off the mat, applied the lock jaw, and made her tap out instead because she's DMD the dentist and she don't give a flub. So while this basically came and went, it was just a really good way to let you know she is the number one contender. She is going for that title at double or nothing. And as I've already said, she should 100% win it. Taz was then showing a video where he was saying that Christian Cage's technique is crap, whereas powerhouse Will Hobbs is amazing, as is the color orange. I think this was just put in there to remind you that this feud is going to go somewhere, and I suppose we'll find out more next week. And talking about championships, it was then time to find out who would be the next opponents for the Young Bucks, because we were having SCU taking on the Varsity Blonde, shout out to Griff Garrison, taking on the Acclaim, taking on the Jurassic Express. When Max Custer was walking to the ring, he did his whole rap thing, and he went at one point flying Brian Jr., Brian Pillman Jr., you're going to be on dark side of the ring in the future, just like your dad. I laughed. I was like, man, that's controversial. Otherwise, this was just really enjoyable. And what can I say? People were just sort of blind tagging everybody else to begin with, which then annoyed everybody else with the tag clacks and ha sounded early and everybody was in there. By the time it calmed down, the last two guys were Christopher Daniels and Anthony Bowens. Luchasaurus got bored of that though, so he tagged in himself and he just ruined everybody, including grabbing Kazarian and choke slamming him onto the Varsity Blondes. And what's more, that just has to hurt it's a human being being chucked onto another human being. It actually saw Jurassic Express have the thing one when they hit dual DVDs, but Christopher Daniels broke that one up. And then Kazarian was here and he was hitting the most devastating move in all the sports entertainment onto Brian Pillman Jr. for a close near toe. I think Brian kind of felt slighted by that. So being an experienced wrestler, he then tried his own version of the most devastating move in all the sports entertainment, but that didn't work. And at that time, he also ran out of friends. Because just afterwards, SCU was able to hit him with the BME and get the victory. So once more, this was the right decision. And yes, we now have our match. It is SCU versus the Young Bucks for the damn tag team titles. Again, it would have been awesome if we could have had more matches like this on Dynamite to build to this big showdown. 
But look, I suppose they are going to break up next week. I imagine AEW will do that quite well. And once more, this was just fun stuff. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? A try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. We then had a video reminding us that John Moxley is going to be taken on Yuji Nagata soon. And this was so well done. And the promo John Moxley cut, my word, he knows what he's doing. And for all you Forbidden Door fans out there, yes, they talked about New Japan Pro Wrestling. So open it up and step on through. I'd also totally forgotten that on Blood and Guts, we were also going to find out who the number one contender for Kenny Omega's title at the pay-per-view was going to be. So I was exhausted by this point. I was like, oh my God, there's so much information. But out came Tony Schiavone and out came the cleaner. The first thing he did was pretend that he was so excited for our main event, although clearly he couldn't give two hoots. And that's why I really like this character because he is just such a moron. And as it turned out, we were going to use the rankings. All those people out there that go, I can't believe AEW never used the rankings. Well, they are, which is why next week on what must be the most loaded dynamite in ages, we are getting Pack versus Orange Cassidy to decide who's going to take on Ken. Now, given that these two have history and that Pack beat Orange Cassidy, Kenny Omega was like, well, this is a waste of time. Why don't we just give it to Pack?" But obviously the piece of fruit didn't like that. So he came out and he got in Kenny Omega's face. I mean, seriously, how far has this gimmick come? Kenny then continued to laugh because he was like, you're a joke. You're absolutely nothing. Why are you even bothering? And he even took the sunglasses off of Orange Cassidy's face and put them on Michael Nakazawa. I mean, can you think of anything more insulting? I mean, he may as well have called Orange Cassidy AEW's pet, but that's why I thought this worked so well. 
There's a lot of people wound up right now going, Kelly and Megan didn't show any kind of respect for Orange Cassidy. But that's exactly the point. Kenny Omega doesn't care, and I'm going to make my prediction now. Orange will beat Pac next week somehow, meaning at double or nothing, it will actually be Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy. And if you told me you saw that coming, well, you'd actually be me, because you can find an old What Culture video where I predict that Orange Cassidy will be the AEW champion by the end of 2021. So I've got that massively wrong. But even then, people said, Simon, he won't even have a title match. I came up Trump's head is getting it up. Right, back to what I referenced earlier. Why do I not want Scorpio Sky or Ethan Page to become the brand new TNT champion? Because I want to give it to Miro up. Because he was out for an interview here and we just kept it simple. He has a contract to take on Darby Allen next week for the TNT title. If Darby Allen can't make it after he got thrown down the stairs, he will forfeit this championship belt. But Miro doesn't want that because he wants to destroy Darby Allen. And he may have had the best go-home line I have heard in 72 years. Because he said next week the world finds out what happens when a man who doesn't care about dying meets another man who doesn't care about killing him. I think I butchered that a little bit. But it was so powerful, it gave me goosebumps. And admittedly, in that moment, I was like, man, Miller, you're such a nerd. But this is the rehab of the Miro character I've wanted for ages. And he should win this. And then he should win every single match until wrestling just vanishes into the abyss. And yes, sure, having the Kenny Omega Miro interviews back to back was a little bit like, man, we probably could have shaken that up a bit. But if that is your biggest problem today, well, you should be a happy chap. As promised too, it was then time to dedicate a significant portion of this dynamite to the blood and guts match. And if you were interested into whether fans and real life human beings were interested in this, before we even got going, they just came alive, they went crazy, so it's a couple of thumbs there. It was war games though, so we had all the usual rules, meaning that everybody has to officially be in the match before you can have a victory. And also there's no pinfalls here, either somebody's gonna submit or somebody's gonna surrender. And we underlined all that almost as soon as we had begun, because the first two people in there were Dax Harwood and Sammy Guevara. And after Sammy had been rocked with a spine buster, Dax went to pin him, but the commentators were like, you stupid idiot, why didn't you read the book? They were absolutely killing each other though. And the side of the cage was being used as if it was the source of oxygen. And so many times they would do a move into that steel and the other person would just crumple on the apron. It looked absolutely horrible. Sean Spears was in the next guy in because of course the pinnacle had the man advantage here. And he had a chair and he just whammed Sammy Guevara right in the head. Now I do believe this chair was gimmicked, but still, I don't think we want to go down this path knowing what we do know, and knowing that I know what I do know, it also just gives me the fear. Thankfully Ortiz was soon in to balance the numbers, and he had this chair too, and he was using it like a gun. And when everybody was down, Sammy Guevara did this Spanish fly to Sean Spears, where they went from one ring to the other ring, and that was my face the whole time. I didn't blink. My brain was trying to process it, but I came up with nothing. Cash Wheeler then got his cue and all of this madness, Sammy Guevara was bleeding. And because the pinnacle had the man advantage again, they got back on top. And then at one point, Ortiz got gory bombed right into the side of the steel. And sometimes you see a big bump and it looks spectacular, but other times you see them and it just looks so violent. That was this. The most obvious thing to do after that was send Santana in there and he ran wild for a bit. 
But even then, he kind of got spanked, although the inner circle then finally rallied and they started to have control. There was a reason for this though, and that's because we were sending Wardlow into the ring and we were gonna keep things nice and simple and nice and effective, because he stood in one ring all like, oh, I'm a big strong power guy. And even though three members of the opposition tried to get him down, he just pinged them off like flies. And if you've never seen him before, you'd be like, who's this Wardlow chap? And look at his wonderful white singlet. This then continued because of course, next up was Jake Hagar and he was even able to get Sean Spears to tap to the ankle lock. But again, not everybody was in the ring, so it doesn't count. And by the time Hager and Wardlow were just punching each other into the face and scuffling around the steel, well, I was invested. I was having a great time. Everything was ticking the right box. You should go and watch it. MJF was the last guy in for the pinnacle. Any worries that, well, he does do his job very well, so he may get cheered by the fans, was blown out your ass because they booed him to hell. And one of the first thing he did was just sit back and go, well, I've got all this under control, as he let Wardlow do his dirty work. Then the crowd just started jeering him more. I thought that was great. This all meant Chris Jericho was the last competitor to get in there. And once again, we just did what we had to do. The inner circle lined up in one ring. The pinnacle lined up in the other ring. They then stared at each other. They went to war and Jericho even had Floyd the baseball bat and he was just twonking people in the air. Soon people were then climbing the cage and the revival decided to wreck one of the rings by ripping up the canvas so you could see the wood beneath it. But then from nowhere, Sammy Guevara was hitting a coast to coast. And honestly, that that will be the gift you see for the next month. He couldn't have done it better. The inner circle then actually got one over the revival because it was them that got pile drived into the exposed wood. And then Santana had a fork. And I was like, what else are we gonna see? But he took it and he rammed it into MJF's head, who of course started to bleed. And then he took a bit of his skin off and he ate it. That bit didn't happen, but I bet you believe it could. Wardlow tried to help out with Boss, and he did a pretty good job to start with until he got ruined by weapons. And then Tully Blanchard, sensing his team were in danger, he took out one of the referees, he got the key, he opened the door, and because MJF was so scared, because he's such a coward, he scampered up to the top. And you know what happened next? Chris Jericho followed. We then got the always cool visual of MJF being locked in the walls of Jericho on top of the steel. But the way Maxwell got out of this was by taking his hand and punching Chris Jericho right in the balls. He was then able to apply the salt of the earth, but no matter what he did, including I think biting La Champion at one point, Chris Jericho wouldn't tap out. But this really did get under Maxwell's skin, so he took Chris Jericho, he walked into the side of the cage and he said, if somebody doesn't surrender, most notably you, you stupid buffoon, I am going to chuck you off of this and essentially murder you. And I laughed, again, I know I've got a problem, but I just love that idea. If you don't let me win this wrestling match, you will die, it's time to make a choice. This is how it finished too, because we went with emotion. Sammy Guevara was watching this and realized, well, I don't really want my buddy to die. So he said that he surrendered and the pinnacle got the win. And I liked all of this too, because while when it comes to these kind of stipulation matches, you expect high spots or crazy things, what we actually did here is that we kept it to personal beef and we just kept it to being really down and dirty and brutal. And that's why I think it felt quite fresh. But as ever, there was more. MGF was never gonna let it lie there though, so he took Jericho, he chucked him off the top of Blood and Cuts, and poor Chris went flying down as he crashed into this structure that had been placed at ringside. And yes, could you tell that it was padded? Absolutely. But when Matt Hardy legitimately knocked himself out, everyone was like, oh, I can't believe I don't want to see it. And now we go out of our way to protect 50-year-old Chris Jericho, and everybody is like, oh, I can't believe I don't know what's going on. What do you want? Do you want AEW to actually allow these two people and everybody involved to kill each other? What are you, a Philistine? How can you be mad? 
said that a real person wasn't chucked from the ceiling onto the concrete below. And I get it, sure, yeah, we could have used a different camera angle or something like that. This was nowhere near as bad as the box explosion we got a couple of months ago, and I thought it was the perfect way to say goodnight, we'll see you next week. Sometimes you do have to remember that wrestling is wrestling. Also, it looked cool, and I bet if you talk to Chris Jericho, he wouldn't say, oh yeah, it was a barrel of laughs. I would imagine it would be quite intimidating because it is quite intimidating. So overall, I was just so damn entertained. I'm not gonna sweat the small stuff because come on, there's gotta be a line in the stand somewhere and it is getting it up. And yes, now everybody's gonna lose their mind because of the ups and the downs counter, but where was the bad on this show? There are a few things that could have been better, but nothing was crap and you only get a down if you do something that I think didn't work overall. I thought this was tremendous fun. It left a smile on my face. So overall, is getting it up.